Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontefract. Today, Carolyn Stern. Carolyn's a certified emotional intelligence and leadership development expert, professional speaker, and a university prof. Her emotional intelligence courses and modules have been adopted by top universities across North America. She has also provided comprehensive training programs to business leaders across the continent in highly regarded corporations encompassing industries such as tech, finance, manufacturing, advertising, education, healthcare, government, and food service. Carolyn's passion is teaching emotional intelligence. We're going to get into that today, but as well, leadership and team building across the workplace. She drives individuals and corporations to learn how to connect authentically, communicate effectively, and thrive collectively by interweaving emotional intelligence along the way. Today, proud to have her on the program because we are talking about her new book, The Emotionally Strong Leader, An Inside-Out Journey to Transformational Leadership. It's a cracker, I tell you that. I've already had the chance to read it, so I'm one of the lucky ones. So Carolyn, welcome to the show. First question for you. You want to turn leadership on its head. In fact, I would argue you've been doing that across the bulk of your career. So why are emotions the new superpowers well i you know i wrote the book dan because i was sick and tired of hearing successful leaders like yourself say showing emotions in the workplace was a weakness so i mean normally when you see the two words emotional and strong uh they sound like contradictory terms but i really want to let people know that our emotions are the language the universal language that unites us all it's, it's a language we can all relate to and can understand. You know, when I say, you know, when was the last time you felt fear? You know what that feels like. You know, when was the last time you were frustrated at work? You know what that feels like. So no matter where you come from, no, no matter how dispersed, diverse, or digital we are across the globe, I think it's really important that we all kind of speak the same language. And so I was sick and tired of hearing these leaders say that emotions were weak. And so I decided to write a book on why your emotions are actually your superpower if you can learn how to embrace the meaning that they provide us. So Carolyn, why is it that we've gotten to this point as we record this, you know, in the second half of 2022, where, why did we get here? Why is it that leaders feel as though that um, emotions are beneath us? I think it's, you know, people have grown up thinking that you need to be stoic and unflappable and unhindered. And, and probably the biggest issue that I have to sort of re un, un, re teach people or get them to unlearn behaviors is that as leaders, you don't need to be the problem solving hero, right? Your employees come to you and you think you need to have all the answers or you need to be perfect or stoic and you can't show that you've got challenges. No, as a leader, if an employee comes to you, you don't need to give them the answers. In fact, leaders need to remember that they're teachers. So as a university professor, I know the answers to my students' tests but I don't give them the answers or else they're not learning. Leaders need to do the same thing, that if an employee comes to them with a question, you don't just give them the answers because what that ha what happens is that creates a culture of dependence. Mm. People are depending on the leader to, to answer their problems rather than coming up feeling empowered to figure it out themselves. And as a leader, if you ask really good questions, right? If you ask good coaching questions, you know, what do you think you should do? Then together, the leader and the employee can come up with some some really great solutions. 
So you mentioned in the book that, you know, emotions are not the enemy. Yet uh, far too often, I believe, you know, you have leaders and cultures of organizations whom, you know, ostensibly are asking their employees, in fact, potentially demanding their employees, do not bring their emotions into work. So how do we help leaders, you know, I guess, first of all, understand that, A, the employee has emotions, get over it, and B, what do we do with those emotions as leaders? Like, tell us, you know, basically the the premise that you're trying to concoct here for a new leader mindset. Yeah, so as you said, your emotions don't have an on and off switch, right? They don't turn off when you get to the office and they don't turn on when you leave the office, right? They're all, they're with us all the time. And how people feel at work affects how they perform at work. And so I think it's important that you check in with your employees with how they're feeling. One of the things that I do in my company for every single meeting we run, we start with a one word feeling. So what are you feeling? And we go around the room, you know, people don't need to tell us the reason why they're feeling what they're feeling, but they just come up with one word. It's a really fast check. And it gives me as a leader, the temperature of the room. And if anyone says anything that's alarming, like, oh, I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm stressed out, I can circle back to them um, offline and find out what's going on and how I can support them. I think the other thing, Dan, that I have noticed in all my years of coaching executives is that. I think leaders think that they need to be their emotional therapist and they don't. They really just need to figure out like, hey, Dan, how are you feeling? Oh, you're feeling overwhelmed? What's going on? You know, what is that feeling telling you about you, Dan? That's my second question that I ask our clients is what are you feeling and what is that feeling telling you about you? So if you're feeling overwhelmed, tell me why you're overwhelmed. What's going on for you? What is overwhelming you? And then once you get into the why, where that comes from, then they can be an observer of their emotions. Look from from above, almost like like a director in a film so that they can kind of see themselves objectively rather than letting their emotions take over and letting a fleeting experience define them forever. So it's really taking an objective stance of your emotions. And the challenge is, trust me, I'm I'm trained in elementary. I taught high school for five years and I've been teaching at the university for 25 years. We're not teaching this in schools. I, I give students stress. I'm not teaching them how to manage that stress. I put them in teams and I'm not teaching them how to work within those teams you know, with different personality types, et cetera. So the key is for them to figure out what they're feeling, what is that feeling telling them about them, and then do something about it. Well, you've you've dovetailed into something I wanted to get into, so let's get into it. And that is like, what are we doing wrong in K-12 and in higher ed to uh, ultimately perhaps not teach, you know, the idea of the importance, if I should say, of emotional intelligence? So Before I get back into the organizations and corporations and public sector, let's go back to K-12 or K-16. Like, what is it you think we should be doing there to begin with? Absolutely giving them an emotional education from as early as we can. Um, I, it took me five years to lobby at my university to get an emotional intelligence course in the school of business. And I was turned down for five years. Why? Because they didn't think it was academic enough. Yale has an emo- a center of emotional intelligence. So you tell me if that's not academic enough. There's a lot of science behind this. This isn't the so- the touchy feely soft soft skill stuff. This is really about teaching people the mental skills 
cognitive strategies to be bigger than their emotions, to again, look at objectively at how they're feeling, why they're feeling what they're feeling. And I don't know about you, but I didn't have superb emotional role models. Did you? No, most of my role models were robots. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. So the challenge is if you're not learning it at home and we're not teaching them at school, you know, most when students are put into a team, for instance, and they come to the teacher and say, oh, I'm having challenges with my team. What did the teacher say? Figure it out. They don't actually sit the two students down. So in my classes, I sit my two students down and say, okay, Johnny, what's going on with you? How are you feeling? What, you know, what is it? And and we have that conversation. I say, okay, uh, Sally, what's going on for you? And we find out, and we have that honest conversation. But these young kids don't know how to do this. And, and I think what I wrote in the book is that, you know, I had, I was sick and tired of seeing students stressed out and anxious and not thinking clearly, or reacting disrespectfully to a text because they didn't know how to have conversations calmly if if they were having interpersonal conflicts or they were insecure about something so they didn't speak up and or do anything about it or maybe they took the lion's share of the work because they weren't assertive enough to sort of set some boundaries and say and they so they took a more passive approach here's the thing if we're not teaching these skills in school it becomes your responsibility as the leader to figure it out we you hire these young kids they haven't learned these skills. And then what I said in the book is that this now plagues the modern workforce. How many of your workers do take the lion's share of the work when working in teams? Don't speak up. Maybe don't have the social skills that they need to. Are afraid to make mistakes. This is what's happening in the workforce because we're not teaching it in schools. So we're graduating non-EI graduates into the workforce complemented by non-EI leaders in the workforce. So it's like an EI uh, persona non grata inside our organization. Great. Okay. Let me, <laughs> let me ask you this then, because I think we need to dial it back a bit to definition. So you've got IQ, you've got EQ, you've got EI. Tell us what those are and tell us why we should be paying more attention to maybe two of the three. Yes. So IQ is a numerical value correlated to your traditional intelligence, right? It's your, it determines your level of reasoning, your problem solving abilities, right? Your EQ is just a numerical number associated with your emotional intelligence. And a lot of times in in literature, EQ and EI are interchangeable. But emotional intelligence is simply just being able to use the information our emotions provide to act appropriately in the face of daily challenges. So it's being able to understand, express, and manage my own emotions. It's be able to have good relationships, mutually satisfying relationships, and build and maintain those relationships. And it's also about thinking clearly and solving problems under pressure. And so what I write in the book is being emotionally intelligent is simply just being intelligent about your emotions. You make a point in the book uh, really well about empathy and how one's level of empathy can actually be correlated to one's emotional intelligence. So tell us a bit about what you've discovered through the the research into empathy. And and again, potentially this follow-up question is, well, what do we do about that? How can we you know become more empathic? 
Well, I think that I'll start with that question. I think the way we can become more empathic is that we need to learn to first understand our own emotions. If we're so not aware, if we're not aware of how we're feeling, how can we then relate and be attuned to how other people are feeling? So it first starts with self-awareness. How, and this is a really simple exercise that everyone can do every day is three times a day, check in with how you're feeling. Um, sometimes I have a poster that we actually is free to download on our website and it's an emotions poster with a, about 30 different emotions. And throughout the day, I look at that poster, it's above my desk right now. And I check in, how am I feeling? And then the second question, which I asked throughout the book is what is that feeling telling me about me? That gives me a lot of information. Empathy is about being attuned to how other people feel, really appreciating and understanding how other people feel. And actually, Dan, what I didn't write in the book, which I'll share with your listeners, is there are three types of empathy. There's cognitive empathies, which is perspective taking. I can put myself into your shoes and think how you might be thinking. There's compassionate empathy, which is I feel your pain and I want to help. And then there's effective empathy, which is I feel your pain. And so each of, each of us have maybe one or all three. And so sometimes I might understand how you're thinking, but I don't understand how you feel because I've never felt that before. Other times I might understand how you feel, but I'm not actually understanding how you think. And other times I might understand how you feel and I really want to help. And so every one of us have different levels of empathy and the challenges and what's happened during the pandemic as our stress goes up, our empathy goes down. And so the key is, is when we're really stressed, we need to remember that I'm feeling stressed, but so are other people. And, and what stresses me out might not stress you out. And what stressed me out on a Monday might not stress me out on a Friday. And so to realize that all of us deal with the daily challenges differently, we all have a different emotional makeup. You cannot just assume that you handle things the exact same way as I handle them. So really checking in with how you're feeling, how is that feeling affecting how you're performing? How is that feeling affecting how you show up as a leader? But also, how are your people feeling? Because how they feel affects how they perform. I love, uh, by the way, the answer and also how you brought in the three types of empathy as listeners and readers might know. From my uh, fourth book, Lead Care Win, I talk about head, heart, hands, where head is cognitive empathy, heart is the emotional empathy, and hands are the sympathetic or compassionate empathy, whereby you get to do something about it. So we're two kindred spirits, Carolyn. It's fantastic. Um, I want to know about the F word. So what's the F word? Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, well... Uh, we need to be using it in the workplace, which is feelings. It's not the not the other F word, but feelings, right? We need to stop being so afraid of feelings. As I said, it said it's if enemies. Uh, the emotions are not the enemies. We need to make friends with our feelings. I guess my question to to all of us, to your listeners, to you: Why are we so afraid of feelings? Right? I think why where we're so afraid of it is we. We're afraid of the consequences. If I share my feelings, it can be used against me. You might resent me for my feelings. It might, you know, it might backfire. But I think it's because we don't have the skills or the confidence to use the skills or the tools to do to tend to emotions in the work, workplace. That's what people are afraid of, is they just don't know how to tend to emotions in the workplace, ours or others. And so in the book, 
That's exactly what I teach people. It's an inside out journey because I wanted to write my first book. I'm going to follow in your footsteps, Dan, and hopefully write two more at least. So it's going to be a trilogy. But the first book is really about you as a leader. It starts with you. So before I can teach you how to lead others, you've got to lead yourself. And the first thing is you've got to figure out what is your emotional makeup? And, uh, you know, what are you strong in? What are you not so strong in? Every leader that I've met has is, isn't perfect on all 15 different skills. So let's figure out where you land, where you're, where are you too much? It's kind of like Goldilocks and the three bears. You know, where is it too hot, you know, too cold or just right? And that's kind of what we do with all 15 different skills. We ask the reader to kind of take them through a, an assessment to kind of say, hey, I'm strong in this area, but I'm not so strong in this area. I'll use me as an example. I'm really high in flexibility, but I'm on the dark side, which means I'm too flexible, which means I can flip flop my ideas. You know, if you tell me one thing and another employee tells me another, I might flip flop my ideas. The low, my low score is I'm low on independence, which means I'm, I care too much about what people think. I need more reassurance. So that's not really a great combination when I'm high in flexibility and low in independence. As a leader, my, my employees might, you know, sometimes I need to take a stand. I'm not going to always please everyone. I need to be stringent and not care so much about what people think and sort of take a position. And so that's my Achilles heel. That's what I have to work on every day. But yours is going to be different. And so what we do is we get the reader to kind of look at themselves and kind of say, okay, where am I? What am I strong in? What am I not strong in? But the second step we take the readers through is that's my perception. What if I'm wrong, Dan? What <laughs> if how I see myself isn't what the way other people see me? So then I ask the reader to take themselves and ask others how they perceive them because I might have the greatest of intentions, but how the, it, how that lands for other people might be completely different. So the next step is really to connect with others. What do other people think of you? Do they think you, do they think I'm very flexible or maybe do they think I'm really rigid? Do they think I care too much about what people think? Or do they think I'm really independent? Figuring out where that sort of, once you kind of get that perspective, as well as your perspective, then you can clarify your focus and figure out what you need to work on. And then you go in as my penultimate question, right, to sort of the rest of that workbook and kind of your action plan, right? So you're, you're then talking about, you know, the possibilities and barriers, your action plan, and then, you know, how you close it out. So take us through the, the, the rest of the workbook, if you will, and what it is that we need to be doing as individuals. Yeah. So in the book, I wanted to create as as has someone has been a teacher for as long as I have, I wanted to create a workbook within the book. Mm -hmm. So inside the book, there's worksheets that we take the reader through. But the first once they figure out connecting with themselves, and connecting, uh, consulting with others and clarifying what they want to focus on, then they've got to come up with a hundred, a bunch of possibilities of what they can do to improve their emotional intelligence, but also what's going to get in their way. So the book provides in chapter 10, we give a slew of uh, suggestions and strategies, but you can also come up with some of your own that work best for you. But we give many in the book or I give many in the book. Yep. And then step, step uh, four is really coming up with that action plan. So here's the difference with an action plan. Most people, you know, most books you've read is, oh, come up with an action plan. But what happens if you relapse? And so in the book, we come up with a relapse prevention plan. What are you going to do if you relapse? Because listen, we're changing behaviors. This is hard. You can't 
teach an old dog new tricks, but for some of us, it takes a bit of time. Right. And just like adult learning, we need repetition, practice, feedback. We need it over and over and over to relearn a habit. And so what we're doing is if we relapse, how am I going to be aware that I'm relapsing? And then how am I going to get myself back on track? So we work the, the reader through that. Then what we do is we get them to confirm their commitment. How committed are they? How passionate are they? How motivated are they? They need to tap into their motivation because you and I both know that unless you're motivated to do something, you're not going to do it. So how motivated? So we tap into what is motivating them to do to be the best leader that they can be. And then finally, we close the conversation with ourselves and we get an accountability partner. I call it a competency advisor. Who's going to help me? So in my company, Natalie, who's half my age, she's my business development manager. She's my independence competency advisor. When I'm struggling with caring too much about what people think, I pick up the phone and call Natalie and she walks me off the edge. I think we need to make sure what we're accountable to someone inside either our organization or a trusted advisor or friend so that they can make sure we're staying on track to to changing some of these deeply ingrained behaviors i love it well uh this has been fantastic uh last question where can we find more about the book and carolyn stern Okay, so you can go on to my website carolynstern.com. If you go on to carolynstern.com/book, all the information is uh, about the book is on that uh, page, and uh, the book's available in Canada uh, next Tuesday, September thirteenth, and in the United States, uh, October fourth. Fantastic, Carolyn Stern. Great to see you. Great to hear from you. Congratulations on the book. The book again, everyone. The emotionally strong leader: an inside-out journey transformational leadership. You've been listening to me, Dan Pontifrac, on Leadership Now with our guest today, Carolyn Stern. Best of luck with the book, Carolyn. Thanks, Dan, for having me.